0: Now, I said to you earlier that most people have never really stopped and asked why they do what they do. But I think, I think that's a sad thing. But what's, in a sense, even sadder to me uh, is that most Christians have never stopped and asked how they do what they do. Why they do what they do is a big question that for most Christians, they have some kind of idea. Uh, but even conversations kind of with you and the, the break here, of, it's been interesting kind of as you've talked about the ways of thinking being challenged. Um, but what's really sad to me is that for most Christians, life looks identical to everybody else. And I want to say that is nothing short of a tragedy. Now, viewed that from one level, our lives should look a lot like everybody else's. And what I mean by that is that we still live in houses, we still drive cars, we still eat, we still drink, we still have jobs, we still work for those things, that's vital and that's important. So view that from that level, that's okay, that our lives on the surface look like everybody else's. But view that from a different angle, it is not okay at all that our lives as Christians look like the life of everybody else. Because the gospel has given us a whole new understanding of who we are, it's given us a new identity that's found in Jesus. See, put it this way: as Christians, our faith changes our motivations. It changes our foundations, but it doesn't necessarily change the methods we use. Okay, Christians don't use special pencils in the office. All right, you know, Christians don't kind of operate in a, in a brand new field, kind of, of of existence, in some very simple ways. And yet a motive and a foundation is radically different because of what Jesus has done for us. So our view and our approach to work seems very different. And what I I want to try and do is earth for you what it means, of that 1 Corinthians 10, 31, that whatever we do, our work included, we do for the glory of God. Of understanding that now, because of the gospel, we have a new lens to view the whole of life through. What does that actually look like for the things that we do? What does that look like in the jobs that you work, in the study that you do? How does that affect the way that things look like? And the place that I want to start, um, didn't have time to do this in the last one. Um, because of Jesus, we can be saved from viewing work in a wrong way. Because of Jesus, we can be saved from unhealthy views of work. The gospel means we can chase down the lies about work that all of us hear every single day. You hear lies about work constantly, consistently. If you've ever seen um, The Office, um, I guess most of you are probably familiar with The Office, you will find, I'm going to give you three lies about work. You'll find every single one of them in a program like The Office. You'll hear most of them in your workplace. You'll hear them kind of in your fellow students as they study. But the gospel helps us address these three lies about work that we're freed from. Here's the first lie, lie number one, that work is a pointless evil. That's the first lie, that work is a pointless evil. This is Dolly Parton, yeah? Working nine to five, trying to make a living. Don't pretend you don't know the song. If you don't know the song, you should familiarize yourself with it. The legend that is Dolly Parton. Um, but she, she sings kind of, that's basically all life is. You, you live to work, you work to live, you endlessly repeat. You endlessly are doomed to just keep going, keep grinding it out every single day. That li- the lie that work is a pointless evil. The gospel freezes from that. And, and yeah, allows us to be incredibly realistic. See, so if you go away from here and you don't have a job, because it would only be people who don't have a paid job yet who would think this. If you go away thinking, I'm just going gonna, gonna to skip into work every day, and, and rainbows will, will come out from my office, and, and I will just spread love and peace and joy <laughs> in my workplace. If you think that's what work looks like, the gospel says, do you know what, L- let me, let, let's, gr- let's ground... The reality of work in the reality of a fallen world. The gospel says you can be incredibly realistic about work. You can know it's under a curse. You can know that there are thistles and thorns. Sometimes it's going to feel fruitless. But you can know that God cares for your work. That God wants you to work in a way that shows the reality of the biggest story that we know. Of the biggest story that the gospel has called into. You can know that work isn't always going to feel this way. You can know that one day when Jesus returns, all work is going to be gloriously freed from sin. Exactly what that looks like, to endlessly work. Maybe we can talk about that in the Q&A at the end. But the gospel lets us be brutally honest about work, but powerfully hopeful. Yeah? Brutally honest and yet powerfully hopeful. Here's a second lie the gospel saves us from. That work gets in the way of real life. How many of you have felt this? How many of you have felt this? The idea that if only we didn't have to work, then we could do everything that we really wanted to do. Um, I, there's a, I'm reading a book at the moment about um, an expedition to, the, to Antarctica, um, so to the, to the southern southern tip of the Earth, and uh, it was led by a man called Ernest Shackleton, and uh, it was in the early 1900s. And Shackleton took a group of about 30 men um, to make a. They were going to be the first people to cross the continent. That was that was the aim. And so they would sail to one side of the continent, a boat would be sailing to the other side, they would cross over the Antarctica, Antarctica and, and they would end up on the other side. That was, that was the desire. And yet what happened was that the, um, the boat very early on got trapped in the, the pack ice that surrounds uh, the land. And uh, winter came in and it froze the boat completely. And what they found was that for months and months and months, about over a year actually, they were stranded on the ice. Now here's what's interesting... As you read those men's journals and diaries, because most of them kept them during that time, they had, they had nothing to do. They had no work to do. That was a novelty to begin with. They had a couple of hours' chores that needed to be done at the beginning of every day, but then it was, there was no occupation, there was no work for them to do. Now, here's what you find. The men recorded in that diary, that very soon, without any kind of work, they all began to, begin to felt listless. They felt as if they didn't understand kind of what life was supposed to be about without anything to occupy their hands without work the men started turning in on each other they started going crazy because there was nothing to do to fill their time what's the point the point is this not that you need to go on an expedition and be stuck in pack ice for a year to see this point okay some of you maybe it would take something that great to kind of you know change but here's the point work doesn't get in the way of real life work is part of real life Work is a vital part of real life it's part of the real life that we're called to live out with Jesus like I said in that prayer, you are young your ambition should not be retirement your ambition should not be retirement that is not the point at which everything will finally make sense that is not the point at which life will finally be lived out in the way that you hope it will be see how sad that is to live through the whole of life just hoping you get to the point where life will finally be what life is supposed to be about. I believe that Jesus wants more for you. Scripture wants more for all of us than just a marking of time until we finally get to retire. Okay, line number two the gospel kills is that work gets in the way of real life. Line number three, let me deal with this one. Work is how I know that I'm a somebody. Work Work is the way that I know that I'm a somebody. I've seen Rocky Um, the the film. There's a great bit in Rocky, a film about boxing, and Rocky Balboa, so West of he says, I want to go the distance. He wants to get into this fight, and he wants to go the whole way through the fight. He wants to succeed in the fight. He's been working so hard for it, and uh, and he's going to go for it. Why? Why is he going to achieve in the fight? Why does he want to win the fight? And his most famous line in the film, most important line in the film, he says, if I can just go the distance, I'll know that I'm not a bum. If I can just go the distance, I know that I'm not a bum. Here's here's what Rocky is saying. He says, if I can just have that, if I can just get that, if I can just do this one thing, that's how I'll know that I'm somebody. That's how I'll know my life counts. That's how I'll know that my life is worthwhile. That's how I'll know I'm a somebody and not a nobody. Now, here's what so many people do. They use work to give them their sense of being a somebody instead of a nobody. Now remember, that work can be the, the job that you have, that work can be the studies that you're currently at whatever it is, you get up every day and you say, I will know that I'm a somebody by doing well enough in my work. So that could work out in all kinds of different ways. It may be that I'll know that I'm a somebody if I can, if I can hit these targets and get this promotion by the end of the year, that's when I know I'm a somebody. And maybe that for some of you, is if, if, I can, if I can get these grades and not those ones, and then get into this place, that's how I know I'm a somebody and not a nobody. And yet here's what the gospel does. The gospel says, you know you're a somebody. You know you're a somebody by first recognizing you're a nobody. And when you recognize that you're not anybody, but Jesus has done everything, then you have a stable sense of who you are. Your sense of who you are, your sense of being a somebody isn't the worth and value you get from your work. It's the worth and value that you get from knowing that you've become a child of God. From knowing the creator of the universe sees you because of what Christ has done and he says, I love you and you're my precious child and there is nothing you could do for me to love you more. That's where your sense of who you are comes from. And then that frees you actually to work in the way that you're supposed to. Work no longer becomes a thing that makes or breaks you. It means you can lose a job and not be crushed. It means you cannot get a grade and not be crushed. It means you cannot get a promotion and not be destroyed. It means that you can live with a stability and a balance. Because Jesus is your safety. Jesus is your security. The gospel frees you to work in the way that God wants you to. See, every follower of Jesus is now called, whether they eat or drink, to do all for the glory of God. Jesus frees us to work in the way that God made us to work. We can work as he works. God worked at the beginning for his glory and for the good of others. And the gospel actually allows us to work in the same way, to be free from the lies and instead to work in a way that brings glory to God and brings good to others. So how does that work? What does that look like? Let me transition into this. What does it mean to do everything we do, including our work, to the glory of God? That's what some of you are saying. Great. Okay, this sounds good. Tell me what this means. because Spell this out because I I can't see how it works. I'd love to kind of spend a lot of sessions kind of teasing all of this out with you. I'm I'm just going to try and show you two very simple things. I want you to really understand what you're called to do. That's the first thing. I want you to really understand it and how your work fits into that. And then I want to show you just a few suggestions of how you can do that. Okay? That's that's all I'll go. And then whatever will happen, lunch or whatever. Um, And then like the last session today, I'll do a brief summary of what I've said, and then we can tease this one out together with with Shane as well. We We can chat about stuff. So here's the first one, what we're called to do. Let me sum up as simply as I can. When you say, what does God want? What does God want from me? What does God want from my life? given you kind of that verse in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, let, let, me, let me say the same thing in a different way. What God wants from our lives, from all of our lives, is good works. Is good works. In all of your life, in all of your work, that's what God desires. Let me let me show you a few places, because that's going to sound strange to some of you. And I'll tell you what I mean and what I don't what it doesn't mean. Uh, go to Matthew chapter 5. This is a Sermon on the Mount where Jesus one of his uh, most important sections of teaching. And in Matthew chapter five, Jesus says this in verse 16. This is Jesus summing up the entire purpose of our life in a single sentence. Matthew five 16. I'll be very sad if someone hasn't written this verse up on the graffiti board, by the way. Um, Matthew five sixteen. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let me run that one past you again. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is Jesus summing up what the Christian life looks like. And he says what God wants from us, what we are called to do is to do good for others for the glory of God. To do good for others for the glory of God. Everything in life, Your work included is about that. The good of others and the glory of God. Listen, good works, it's important you understand this. What Jesus isn't saying is do those good works enough to a point where God will love you. He's not saying that. He's not saying do enough of those things until God loves you. He's saying, no, 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 because of grace, because of the gospel. Because of the good news of what Jesus has done for us, God already loves us. He already accepts us. Everything that's needed has been done through Jesus. And by faith in him, we're loved and accepted. You do not do good works to get saved. You do not do good works to get saved. But good works are now a description of what God wants from your life. They're part of being saved. They're the results, they're the fruit of what it means to live after Jesus. Okay, I need to tease this one out. So let me show you a few other places where this comes. Uh, I'm going to send to Ephesians chapter 2. I think it will come up on the screen behind me. So Ephesians 2. Listen to, to from verse, uh, verse 8 of Ephesians 2. Some of you will know this really well. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's a gift from God. Not as a result of work so that no one can buy. See what Paul says? The Apostle Paul who writes this. He says it isn't by the things that you do that you're made right with God. It is a gift. It is grace. It is through what Christ has done for you that you're received and accepted by God. Amen to that. that that's what we love. That's how we're rooted. That's, that's how we understand who we are. But then listen to what he says. For we are, in, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Wow. Wow. God has a whole load of good works you were created in advance to do. Isn't that amazing? He says in the, in the space of two verses, good works don't save you, but God has prepared them for you. That's what your life then is about. And Jesus says, what are good works? They're loving others, serving others, and bringing glory to the Father. Let me show you another place where you see this. Titus chapter 2 verse 14. Um, let, me, let me read, because this is a, a, a super-duper long sentence. Um, uh, and so Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Again, you get the same thing. God's grace has appeared in Jesus, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. See the same thing. He says this is everything that God has done for you in Jesus. Jesus has saved you because of what he's done, not because of what you've done. And yet, why has he saved you? He saved you, verse 14, to create a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. I love this. So, as Christians, there's a sense in which God has made us doubly for good works. (laughs) See, every single human being ever to exist, do you remember the first session? Was made to work like God worked, was made to reflect the image of God. And God created for the good of others and for the glory of his name. And everyone is made to work in the same way. All of us are made to work in the same way. And yet, here's a second part. Here's another part to it. Because of Jesus, through Jesus, we're recreated for good works. We're saved saved by Christ for good works. We once again, because of Jesus, can be fruitful in good works. And here's what the Bible says. Not just a few good works. Not just a small amount of good works as we can get away with for the rest of our life. But abundant good works. Overwhelming good works. Good works. There's this this amazing verse in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that says we are to abound in every good work. I mean, it's just one of those great words, isn't it? So in one of these great Bible words. It's not kind of miserly. We have to abound in good works. We have to be rich in good works, is what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6. We, we have to want to do as many good works as we can. And here, here's the way John Wesley put it, very famous Christian. He says, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Isn't that great? As a summary of the Christian life, that's fantastic. Do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. That's great. And that's so true. But here's a massive question. Because a lot of you will be from church backgrounds. A lot of you will be from very Christian backgrounds. And the moment you start hearing good works, certain things come into your head. For some of you, it will be good works are those terrible things that we don't try and do to make ourselves right with God. Because you rightly have heard time and time again that our works cannot make us right with God. For others of you, good works will immediately kind of say, well, yeah, they're the very spiritual things that I do. You know, they're the kind of the rare, the, the one-off things that I try and do as much as I can. So the question has to we have to ask ourselves is, exactly what does the Bible mean by good works? It's an important question, yeah? What does the Bible mean by Good works. Because unless you get that right, nothing else will make sense. Because probably the first response of some of you has been, well, I'd love to do some of those good works. Maybe I'll get a chance to do some of them soon. <clears throat> kind of busy at the moment, but I reckon, yeah, I could fit a few of those good works in most weeks. You know, maybe, maybe once in the month I'll get a time to do a few more of them. Yeah, I'd love to do some of those good works. And maybe you go to good works straight away. Well, yeah, there's, um, I could volunteer in a soup kitchen. I could go and serve this group of people. Maybe even I could do some kind of short-term service project in, in a developing country somewhere. They, they're the kind of good works. I would love to do those good works. And hey, those things, may very well, they, those things are great things. But let me share something the Bible teaches that I think for some of you could change your life. I'm not prone to exaggeration. I really think it could. According to the Bible, good works are not the rare, special, extraordinary, very spiritual things that we do. The Bible says a good work is anything that is done in faith. (laughs) Is anything that's done in faith. In other words, the normal things that we do, the normal things that form the part of our lives that we do every day, when they're done for God's glory and for the good of others, are good works. See, when you look at the Bible, it gives you some incredible examples of Good works. Some incredible examples of things that it counts as good works. Again, I want to show you this. And we're going to kind of move into um, some, some ways to try and flesh this one out. In, uh, in 1 Timothy 5, um, it's an interesting chapter um, because in 1, 1 Timothy 5, verse 10, Paul describes raising children as a good work. He, he describes as a good work raising children. That's actually quite incredible. Because Paul in those verses he's saying, how can you tell if somebody is doing good works? It's one of the questions he's asking. How can you tell if somebody is, has a life where you see good works? And so Paul says, well, look, let me give you an example of someone doing a good work. He doesn't just say caring for the poor. He doesn't just say giving all your money away. He doesn't say doing some kind of radical and amazing spiritual deed. He says, you know, good works like, um, like raising children. Now, as a parent, I cannot tell you how encouraging that is. And I'm aware kind of, you know, most of you aren't parents. But, but he says, when you do it in faith, for the glory of God, for the good of others, raising children, of course, that's a good work. And immediately, do you know what that does for a whole host of parents? Immediately it says, actually, do you know what? That means my life is, is yeah, it's actually been lived out for the glory of God in a way that I never knew it could be. Because raising children is a good work. let me give you another example. That verse I read from Ephesians two ten, where Paul says God created us for good works. That's, yeah, God created us for good works. That's what we're made for. But later on in that same letter, Paul is Paul is writing. He says he says to the Ephesians, he echoes the language, and he says in chapter five, uh, sorry, chapter six, verses five to eight, he's talking about work. And he's talking about slaves obeying their masters with fear and trembling. Don't get too caught up in the word slave there. Uh, we can kind of, if you want to chat about exactly what that means. It wasn't exactly how, what we think when we think about the word slavery. Um, but he says, he says that those, those who become Christians are slaves. He says, he says, do it with a sincere heart as you would for Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleases, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God. And then he goes on to say, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord, not to any man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he'll receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Now, I'm laboring this with you because I want you to see this. Paul says, he's talking about daily work. Now, your daily work will look different to that, but he's talking about daily work. And he says that our daily work is one of the good things that we do. And the word for good he uses is exactly the same one he used in chapter 2, where he says the whole of your life is to be about good works. In other words, he's saying the work we do every day is a good thing because it's a good work when we do it for God. So here clearly, a good work is not just a spiritual thing or the hard, rare endeavors. They're anything we do in faith. They are anything we do in faith. Now, do you see how powerful this is? I want you to join the dots up here This changes everything we think about our daily lives. It says, lived out in faith, the things we do every day can be good works. Let me make that concrete for you. Whether that's writing essays, or building houses, or inputting data, or making music, or delivering posts, or making sandwiches, or serving coffee. God says, those things, they can be good works for me. They can bring glory to my life. They can serve other people. Um, And if you've been to the States, uh, you may have eaten in a fast food restaurant called uh, Chick-fil-A. Anyone eating in Chick-fil-A? Yeah, okay. We've got a few people who've experienced the joy of Chick-fil-A. It's like, there's a joke in in America that Chick-fil-A is like a Christian KFC. And the reason it's a Christian KFC is because the food is more blessed. (laughs) Um, And also because it's run by Christians. And uh, the, the president of that company is a guy called Dan Cathy, and he's a Christian. And the whole company, Chick-fil-A, is run on Christian principles. Uh, in fact, it, it is based on Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, the philosophy of that company. Um, it's fascinating. If, you kind of get, if you're interested, you can read about it. And he was speaking at a conference, and he quoted from that Matthew five sixteen verse. Remember the one that said, the verse where Jesus sums up the Christian life, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and bring glory to your Father in heaven. Now, here's here's how he quoted it. Here's what he said. He said, "Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your clean parking lots, and bring glory to your Father in heaven." See what he did? He's did very simply he's replaced Jesus' phrase "good work" with a concrete example of a clean car park. Now, is he misquoting Jesus? he's misquoting Jesus because Jesus didn't know about Chick-fil-A but is he misquoting the essence of what Jesus has said absolutely not absolutely not he's got spot on what Jesus is saying if what we've seen about good works is right since good works are the things we do every day in faith in clean car parks sweat floors serving burgers all of those things can be good works isn't that amazing all of those things can be good works because they're part of what God has called us to. They're part of the good works God has created us for. And that means for your work, even though they may sometimes be dull, even though they may be frustrating, your work can have great meaning because it's part of the life that God has called you to. How does it fit with everyday work? The things that God specifically has called you to. Again, right now, that might be a student. It might be in an office job. It might be as a builder. Even, maybe even unemployed right now. What does it look like to work in a way that shows we have Jesus? What does it look like to work in a way that does ordinary things in faith? That's what I'm asking as we close. How do we do what we do? Let me, let me finish. I'm going to give you three things. Three ways to tuck in your back pocket and to head out into the week as you work. Here's the first one. What does this mean? How do we do these things in faith? Here's the first thing. We remember that we're with God. We remember that we're with God. Now I deliberately use that phrase. It sounds funny because it's straight out of, uh, straight out of the Bible. It's out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 24. I'll, uh, I'll just read that for you. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 24, where Paul says, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. Paul is writing to new Christians just here in this letter. And he says to them, when you get saved, when you start following Jesus, he says, stay in your job. Stay in your job. Stay in your job, but this time, go back in there knowing that you are with God. Knowing that God is present with you. He says, you don't need to quit and become something more holy. He doesn't say that. He says, stay where you are, but work knowing that through Jesus, you're now with God. So look, play that out into your own situation. If you are studying right now, remember each day you are with God. As you sit and you hear your lectures, as you work in your seminar groups, remember that you're with God. If you're working in an office, you walk into your office knowing you are with God. You see? That's what Paul is saying. And and as you do that each day, here's, here's what it helps you do. It helps you get into the workplace, get into where God has called you to work and enjoy him in the midst of the workplace. Enjoy him. Yes, I said that. We are to enjoy being with God. It is the greatest and most wonderful blessing. You can enjoy God in the midst of your work to pray that God would stir your heart to remember who you are in Jesus to enjoy that identity you have. And it means you can remember with God each day that actually you can go into your work with thanksgiving. Even if you hate your job. Even if you hate your job, I know some of you are saying, wow, yeah, it's great. You clearly are very satisfied with your job. You, you haven't worked my job. And, I, and do you know I'd say? You're yeah, absolutely right. I haven't worked your job. I have a weird job. I know that too. <laughs> I know that. But just because I don't know what your job is like doesn't mean that the Bible is not true in kind of all honesty to say to you. And just because I don't understand your situation doesn't mean that these things still don't play out. So yes, the gospel allows us because we're with God to enter the workplace with thanksgiving. And, and remembering God will stir that thanksgiving. And do you know what? Some perspective is good. Right now God has provided a job for you. It may not be your perfect job. It may not be the perfect thing that you want to do the rest of your life. But how about that tiny bit of perspective that right now about 50% of the world's population earn less than £1.50 a day. 80% of the world's population live on less than £6 a day. Do you know what? I think you probably have more cause for thanksgiving than you might realize. And the more we're conscious of God in the workplace, the more we realize we have thanks to give to God. So the first one, you go into your workplace remembering you're with God. Here's a second way. You go into your workplace with a spirit that wants to be creative and hardworking. That wants to be creative and hardworking. Remember how Jesus frees us to work like God created us to work? That we now can work in a way that, we, that kind of we were supposed to when God made us. Well, just as God was creative and hardworking, just as God set the pattern, our work should be T. See, if we understand that God matters to all of our work and all of our work matters to God, then we'll want to work well. And as we work well, what can we do? We show the beauty, we show the love, we show the order of the God who made us. Let me quote an American pastor, an author called John Piper. And he says this, I, I think this is a great a great way to sum it up. He says, when God sends us forth as his image bearers, our ditches, are to be dug, our ditches are to be dug straight. Our pipe fittings are not to leak. Our cabinet corners should be flush. Our surgical incisions clean. Our word processing accurate and appealing. Our meals nutritious and attractive because God is a God of order and beauty. I that's such a great... Great way to summarise it. Actually, this is a powerful motivation. We reflect in a way that reflects the God we love and serve. But maybe you say, look, I, you still don't understand this. The job that I do is pointless, it is boring, and it's mundane. You have no idea how dull my job is. Actually, I, my, my first job was working in a cupboard with a photocopier. That was my job. Um, So I know quite a lot about boring, dull, and mundane jobs. And yeah, do you know what I needed someone to tell me at the time? I needed someone to tell me at the time, well, a few things. Number one, if you're in a job where you say this is boring, pointless, and mundane, do you know what? It's It's not sinful to consider another job. Maybe you need to pray more for a job that would suit the giftings and passions and abilities that God has given you. Okay? Working in a job that can fulfill you in that way is a great blessing from God. But here's the other thing. In the meantime, you can still work hard. You can still work well, even if you think the end is pointless. Because there is something about photocopying that can bring glory to God. There really is. There is something about ordering a stack of invoices and then passing them on. In the grand scheme of things, you think it will never really achieve much. But there is something that God looks at and he says, I value that. I know that, because in a tiny way, you reflect the way that I work. Do you see that? I want to I encourage you that God fills some of your mundane jobs with a, with a value and a dignity. I'm not, I'm not saying that some of your jobs are going to change the world. Don't misunderstand. I'm not, I'm not kind of ignoring the obvious, but God values. And when you go in, knowing that God values, you can work creatively and you can work hard. And here's, here's the last thing that I want to say to you. The last thing to take in by loving those around us. That's the other way that the gospel enables us to go into our workplaces. Remember, we do all we do for the glory of God and the good of others. So to work well as a Christian means that we'll want to love and serve those around us. That's what it means. The gospel says that the Son of God came and served us to the point of death, that he poured out everything he had. And the more we reflect on that, the more we can joyfully and gladly serve those around us. You'll most likely meet most of the people that you kind of spend your life with through the work that you do. And whether that's in a year group, whether that's in course mates, whether that's office colleagues, and you have the honour and the privilege of sharing the love of God with them. The honour and the privilege of sharing the love of God with them. Oh, I know that's hard, but it is a privilege that we get to share the love that we've received in Christ. But what does that love look like? See, it starts with this. It starts by having a real goodwill towards the other person. Because I know what some of you will do. You you know, you say say something like this. um, You say, I I agree with that in principle, but then someone will come into your head from the office. (laughs) And you say, they are just... I'm just going to wait until I feel like loving them. Because seriously... Yeah, we could have like a day of intercessionary, intercessionary prayer for them because it's so hard to love them. And you kind of just say, I'm going to wait until I feel kind of the desire to love them. That is the worst place to start. If you wait till you feel a desire to love someone who's difficult in your workplace, you'll never love them. Here's C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, he, says, he says the rule for us is perfectly simple. Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Sticking co-worker, colleague, coursemate. It says, don't spend time bothering whether you love them. Act as if you did. And as soon as we find this, we find one of the great secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you'll presently come to love them. If you injure someone you dislike, you'll find yourself disliking them more. But if you do them good, you will find yourself disliking them less. The gospel, the spirit dwelling in each of us, as we go into the places where God has called us to work, allows us to love and serve those around us. And here's a very practical thing for some of you. It means be proactive in doing good towards them. It means going that extra, you take the first step. Yeah, you take the I don't know what that looks like where you are, but what does it look like to be proactive in, go, in doing good? You know God is with you. You know who you are in Jesus. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit, even terrible bosses, even awful colleagues the gospel allows you to take the first step and to say, actually, I want to be proactive in doing good. Yep. Here's where I'll finish. I tried to show you that work was made to be good, but there's has become broken through sin. But in Jesus, we can, we can be rescued from the power of sin, free to work as God intends. We can now do our work to the glory of God. We can be in a place where work is part of a life where everything we do in faith, God seizes the good works he wants from our life that everything we can do can be a good work when it's done for the glory of God and the good of others. But you may be sitting there thinking, well, if I'm really honest, how can all of this be good for me? If a life lived out for the glory of God and for the good of other people is what the Bible is saying, how is that good for me? I just want to voice what I think is probably in some of your heads. How is that good for me? See, if life is all about putting God and others first, then won't that leave me unhappy? Won't that leave me less fulfilled? Let me close with this one amazing, incredible implication of living for the glory of God and the good of others. When you live that way, when you live in a way that makes makes God number one, that places the good of others first instead of selfishly living for yourself, when you live that way, when you stop making yourself the number one focus, God takes charge of your happiness. God makes your, your happiness his business. See, if you live selfishly, making your own interests your first priority, God, God leaves us to ourselves. But if you seek him first, then he'll make your happiness his business. Let me quote from one last writer. A man named Jonathan Edwards, who lived many, well, a few hundred years ago now. He said this. If you do not selfishly seek your own, but seek the things that are Jesus Christ's and the things of your fellow human beings, then God will make your interest and happiness his own charge. Isn't that great? When you live in this way, God says, I will make your happiness my charge. And then here's what Jonathan Edwards says. This is brilliant. He says, and God, by by the way, is infinitely more able to provide for and promote your happiness than you are. (laughs) The resources of the universe are at his bidding and he can easily command them to subserve your welfare. Do you hear what he says? He says, when you put God first, when you put the good of others first, you initially think that that things will go bad for you. You say, who will look out for us? But the amazing answer that the gospel gives is that God himself is the one who will have our backs. And Edwards says, I would humbly suggest God is a better provider than you are. That God probably has more stores of happiness and satisfaction to give than you do. See what he says. See the the amazing reality of the gospel. That when you throw everything to Jesus, when he becomes the one our life revolves around, And then God says, it's the best life. That's what I want to say. The invite to live and work like this is an invite to experiencing the deepest sort of joy and the deepest sort of happiness. It's life as God created and intended it to be, as close to that as it can be in a fallen world. That's the invite that God gives